0: I am reminded, says St. Paul to Timothy in our second lesson, of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and then in your grandmother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you. Dear friends, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, Amen. It was the early 60s, Bloomington, Minnesota. Those were the years of Halsey Hall's infamous Holy Cows while announcing the Minnesota Twins games on WCCO. The days of Ham's beer commercials along with Lindale Olds. The Major League pennant years of Harmon Killebrew, of Tony Oliva, and Jim Cott. And I'm especially wondering these days if they could perchance still be eligible to help out the twins. I mean, it's awful if they can just beat, you know, beat the Yankees once. But the early 60s was also a time when I thought my mother had a child prodigy on her hands. Hold on to that metaphor. That's what a metaphor, hold your hands. A veritable wunderkind, I thought, at the piano. All the more amazing since at age four or five, I didn't even know what that word meant. Big news, as my dad came home to our little parsonage one evening. Dad, I said, listen to this, as I ran into the living room. I sat down at the piano and started to play variations on Take Me Out to the Ball Game. My hands were flying across the keys with jazzy cadenzas and even a half-step modulation on the last verse, even before Barry Manilow even had a clue about that. And it was root, root, root for the home team. As we say in Minnesota, for sure. And then my dad applauded, laughing, saying, John, you just keep your hands on top of your mother's like that, and you'll even get Halsey Hall to shout out, holy cow. You see, the whole time I was playing, I was sitting on my mother's lap at the piano, my hands and fingers on hers. As we scaled up and down the keyboard, as my mother had learned... From her mother, my grandmother. Now, says Paul, I'm reminded of your sincere faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. Are you following? About a year later, during my first piano lesson, my first real piano lesson, my mother made the big announcement Okay, John now you play it. At first it was difficult to hear my own sad attempts botching Bach and yes, causing Beethoven to roll over. And even making the melodious Mendelssohn sound like I just hit him with a fastball. And yet after all my years of discipline and humbling practice, the frustration turned into satisfaction. Moving from Grave, maybe even to Dolce. Especially when my mom would go to her files and pull out a small red and white book and say, let's now play some duets. And that would always, with a smile, get me back into the game. Music historians tell us that the art of piano duets started back in the mid-1700s with none other than Johann Sebastian Bach. However, the art of discipleship duets started well over 4,000 years ago when God sent Abraham and Sarah on a traveling song. Bless to be sharp. Turned a stuttering Moses into the opera courts of Pharaoh with Aaron singing, let my people go, in an E major of an exodus. The prophetic team of Elijah and his protege, Elisha, in a fiery rock band playing Stairway to Heaven. And then, of course, there was this dynamic duo that we hear again today of St. Paul and Timothy, sounding grace notes all over the Mediterranean, even in the face of death threats and doubt. And did you notice how Jesus sends out the disciples in our gospel lesson for this morning. The music continues in the concluding measure of the last verse. It puts our lives in a humbled key. So you also when you have done all that God has called you to do, says Jesus, say we are unworthy servants, we've done only what is our duty. And then if you turn back to the very first verse of Luke, chapter 10, we read, After his teaching, Jesus appointed 70 other disciples and sent them on ahead of him two by two. When you look at today's church, it's easy to see the prevalence of individualism among ministers and other church leaders, stardom and individualism, which are Such obvious aspects of our competitive culture are, sadly, not at all alien in the church. There, too, the dominant image is of that Hollywood cowboy, some lone ranger riding rogue with the herd, the flock, off into the lonely sunset. And I hear indicators of this now and then with comments, and we talked about this, this last Wednesday in our Bible study. For example, yeah, last Sunday we went over to Pastor Fred's church. Or we went over to Bob and Betty's church. No, no, no. Let's be really careful here. It's Christ's church. Christ is the head of the church and we're all a part of it or nothing's gonna come of it. Family members of the body of Christ here at First Lutheran Church and all of you, all of you who are among the priesthood of all believers, all who are touched perhaps by this broadcast this morning, if we're not a welcoming home in the heart of Sioux Falls, inviting folks from work Those who are our neighbors, someone we know who's struggling with depression or incredibly lonely in time of need, inviting them to come and sit at the Lord's table together as we do again this day as a family of faith. If we don't, we'll all starve to death. If we're not all about understanding, discipleship, stewardship, and tithing seriously, the 60,000 a year we're paying now on interest alone for the newly installed HVAC system will soon drain us of any strong sense for creative or strong ministry. And if we're not about mission and outreach, investing God's first love as 1 John 4 tells us, into a second and a third and a fourth love, well, then our spiritual muscles will atrophy. My friends, it's the church of Pastor Fred's, as much as it is the Joneses, the Johnsons, the Chows, the Garcias, and the Gates. the whole Sunday school, our little carol choir, our confermans, our women's choir, all put together the church is not about soloists as much as they'd like for others to think it is with big bravado voices. Rather, it's about duets and choirs, ensembles, orchestras. As my grandpa Strumman used to say, two heads are better than one, especially if they're Norwegian. Oh, think about it. So, how can we drink more deeply of these waters of wisdom that began in our baptism and splashed upon us this day by God's word, spoken by St. Paul to his young brother in the faith, Timothy, and yes, upon you. By looking at the life, that is, here is the source, the life and ministry of the one who calls us, from the tempting power and sin-filled seeking of control and individualism and singing solos to the humbling cross of Christ, of understanding the duet of discipleship together. I am reminded, writes Paul, of your sincere faith A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you. Are we following? Since we've been hearing this story about the sending of the disciples, both in our gospel text and in this letter of St. Paul to Timothy, we may take this job description for granted. In short, they, like us, are given exactly the same thing to do that Jesus himself had been given to do, and he did. But it didn't have to be that way. Jesus could have pointed out that none of them was the Son of God, as St. Paul surely did, making sure that we know, as he says, I am the chief of sinners. Jesus could have pointed out that none of them was the Son of God after all. None of them had been born under a blinding star. And none of them, like us, had angels singing hosannas over our cribs. Messiah complex, Dr. Freud. He could have reminded them of all that, yes, and insisted that they remain simply his assistants for their own safety, you understand, avoiding malpractice suits, He could have let them mix the mud when he healed people, spray the Lysol when he cleansed lepers, or unwrapped the bandages from those he'd raised from the dead. But no, rather, he said, Now John, Jane, Bob, Betty, you play it. You play it. Listen carefully here. My friends, don't worry so much. Don't let it keep you hesitant when you think, oh, I've got to be innovative. I need to be so creative. Just simply be genuine. Theologically, I construe this as Jesus revealing the Teflon nature of God, and his ongoing spirit in us, his body, his church. St. Paul writes in verse 6 to Timothy today, hence I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you. Within you already. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Teflon, you know, nothing is to stick to oneself, and it didn't Jesus, as he empties himself, taking the form of a servant, constantly pointing in prayer beyond himself to God the Father. It's not a solo thing. Everybody's unique gift is called upon. Each unique gift for you, each gift unique in the entire universe Jesus forgives sins and says, now you do it. Jesus heals people and he says, now you do it. Jesus embraces people, the lepers, the outcasts. He says, now you do it. You do it. With no training and very little advice, Jesus sends the disciples to be wise counsel and healing hands in the world. Lay your hands on mine, says Jesus, and I will help you play a world symphony. Not as soloists, but as a full orchestra. Now listen to what incredible difference that is. Here's the voice of individualism. Now, Think of the beauty when we're doing this duet of discipleship, but yet even fuller. So, tell me if this doesn't sound even more beautiful. Gives the fullest expression of the gospel as Jesus is calling us. Amen.